We're continuing today in our series in John, and we've reached John chapter 14. And my goal today is to take in the care and empathy of Jesus. That we should take in the care and empathy of Jesus and to feel empowered by the relationship we have with the Father. That we should be empowered by this relationship with the Father. And uh, my plan is I'm going to first of all look at the place where it says, let not your heart be troubled, and then actually getting a glimpse of God himself. And then Jesus gives another exciting reason not to be troubled. And we're going to end by asking what Jesus is saying to us through those three things. But before we do that, let's just step back a bit and see how this fits into the big plan of John. And John's gospel, we can divide into two parts. The first half is slightly more than a half, is uh, chapters 1 through 12. And people have called that the book of signs because there are seven signs Jesus does from the turning water into wine through to raising Lazarus from the dead. And it's, fo- it's really built around these signs. The second half, 13 to 21, people have talked about calling it the book of glory. Jesus talks about his death as his glory. And this is where we are now. We started it last week and we're in that right now. And so to give you an overview of how that works, we start with a meal with his disciples and this is the upper room meal. And then we end in chapter 21 with a meal with the disciples. That's out on the beach. And inside that, we have two panels. The first panel is Jesus alone with his disciples, giving them some unique teaching that's not found anywhere else in Scripture quite in that way. And the second panel is his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. And that's how this part, the second half of John, the second book, fits together. So we did, last week, we did a meal with his disciples, chapter 13. And um, what we said is it begins with like a summary of the book of glory, like in, in, um, in uh, if you could put it down to one single statement, it would be this. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, to the end he loved them. And we talked about what it means that Jesus loves us to the end. He will never let us go. He says, I will never abandon you. And one of the deepest needs of humans have is to be attached. Because, um, I mean, babies that don't have an attachment will die. It's life and death. It's survival. And in old age, we become very dependent. Whether we or not we have those we're attached to de- de- defines our survival. And all through life, attachment is core to what it means to be human. And I mentioned how Sue Johnson, the, the, the researcher at University of Ottawa, had watched uh, hundreds of thousands of hours of, of, of um, um, sorry, tens of thousands of hours of video of couples arguing. And as she analyzed what's going on, she realized that it wasn't the surface argument that was important, it was underneath them saying, are you going to abandon me? Are you really going to be there for me? Is, is, this is, are, are you, are, are we really attached? And this is key to human relationships. 
And um, whether or not we have people in our lives who are completely committed to us is, is vital for our survival. And what Jesus is telling here in this book, in the second half, as he introduces it, he says, this is the kind of love I have for you, a love that will never let you go. My love for you, I will love you to the end. Just take a moment just to take that in, that Jesus will love you to the end. And so that is the story of the book of glory. And it begins with the the Passover feast and the washing the disciples' feet. And then we go on to the part we're doing now, which is this new teaching from Jesus to the disciples, 14 through 17. I'm going to very quickly just sketch out how that works, and then we'll see where we are in it. So um, it begins, let, let not your heart be troubled, which is what we're looking at today. The second part is, if you show me love, in other words, follow my teaching, then I promise you the Spirit. And then that, that flows on from that, well, How are you going to do this? You only have strength to do this if you're joined with me. And there's the image of being joined to the vine. Then he says, you're connected to the vine by loving one another as I have loved you. And we're going to unpack this in future weeks. But I'm trying to give you the flow of where things are going in these these chapters. And then we have the opposite of love, which is hate. Then he talks about the spirit again. The spirit of truth is coming, what he's going to do. And then he ends with saying, in a little while, I've got, those hurt will hurt no more if you excuse my quote from you too there. Um, it's about sorrow being t- turned to joy. It's about this, in a little while, your pain will be gone. And then we have chapter 17, Jesus commits his disciples to the Father in prayer. So that's the big picture of what this this unfolding of this dialogue with the disciples and where he's going. And we're going to be doing number one today, let not your heart be troubled. So let's uh, actually, this would probably be the right time to look at the passage. And so I'm going to begin. I don't have a handout this week because it's not quite as, as complex and we don't have as much to get through. So I think we can do it all from the screen. But I'm going to just read the first little chunk there, and we'll talk about that, and then we'll read the rest of it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Otherwise, I would have told you, because I'm going away to make ready a place for you. And if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be too, and you know the way I am going. So this is Jesus. Um, he is starts this off by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, what's extraordinary, before we get into this words, what's extraordinary about this is he's telling them not to let their hearts be troubled. But this word occurs four times. And the other three times, it's talking about Jesus um, being troubled. And so we have Jesus sees Mary weeping, and he's troubled as he sees this pain, and we and we see he bursts into tears. So Jesus is troubled. And then we have uh, 
in chapter 12, now is my soul greatly distressed. What should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour. No, for this very reason I've come to this hour. As he contemplates, he's about to die on the cross. And then the third time, if Jesus troubled again, uh, greatly and visibly troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. So this is the context. Jesus is going through a lot here. He's just been betrayed by one of his disciples. He's seeing all this stuff. He knows he's about to face the cross. But what's happening, he's looking, he's talking to them and saying, don't you be troubled. Isn't that incredible that he's not focusing on his own trouble, his own uh, stuff that's going to happen. He's focusing on them. He's having empathy with them. He's in the middle of his own passion. He looks at them and, and sees that they are going to be very, very shaken when their leader, who they thought was the king, dies. And they don't really get it that he's going to be raised from the dead right now. They're going, and he looks at them in empathy, sees what they're going through, and he shows them the empathy at this time. This is uh, quite extraordinary, but I want to, we're going to see in a minute, Jesus is showing us what God is like. And God has empathy with us. In fact, what God is focused on our needs more than his own needs. This is extraordinary to to grasp, but he's more focused on their needs than on, on his own, and that's what God is like. God's actually concerned about our needs and focusing on them. The idea of God having empathy with us and actually taking our needs really, really seriously is hard for us, but Jesus is showing us that this is the very core nature of God, that when he's about to face all this stuff, he's actually looking at them and saying, no, don't you be troubled. You've got stuff you're going to have to deal with right now. I just find that quite extraordinary. And um, just to look at the heart of God here, uh, God values unselfishness because he is unselfish. God puts the needs of those he loves before his own needs. And we all know that God wants us to be unselfish, but the idea that God is unselfish really struck me as I was reading this. I thought, I'd never really seen that so vividly, that God actually puts the needs of others before his own. This is just mind-blowing, that God should be like that. Uh, so let's let's carry on then and look at this passage. Um, see what's going on here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, and he's referring to heaven here, there are many rooms, otherwise I would have told you so, because I'm going away to make ready a place for you. And if I go and ready make, if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be too. This is pretty amazing. Um, it's like there is, if you're a Christian, there's a room in heaven with your name on it. There is. There's a place, Jesus is saying, where you're going to be. And it's actually very close to where Jesus is. Because he says, I'm going to take you there because I want you to be with me forever. Like, if you if you ever traveled somewhere and, you know, you're going somewhere and you get your confirmation, this is your seat number, this is your room number. You know, it's reassuring to know that they know you and you've got a place. Well, Jesus says, you have a place in heaven. 
Like there's a room in heaven for you with your name. Like for eternity. It's yours. And it's near me. And I want it near me because I want to be with you. Like this is extraordinary. This is Jesus comforting us. And I find this really comforting. Like what else really can matter? What can anything go wrong in this life if I have that forever? And so this, this is, this is the, the, the first powerful truth that he comforts them with. I'm with you forever and I'll have this place for you. So let's, let's read it. I'm going to read the whole passage now and talk about how it fits together and then pick out some things as we go through it again. So let's uh, look at verse four. Uh, and you know the way I'm going. Um, Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've known me, you will know my Father too. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, I've indented it like this because it does match. There's a flow of argument which gets to a middle point and then flows back out again. And so we get this in, Thomas brings the first question, then Jesus replies, and then Philip brings the second question. Okay, Jesus, you talked about the Father. Lord, show us the Father and we will be content. Jesus replied, I've been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So this kind of wraps up this middle section here about seeing the Father. And then Jesus um, brings to them the last part here, which I'm going to deal with later. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father dwelling in me performs his works. So we have the word belief brought in several times here. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not believe me, believe because of the works themselves. I tell you the truth. The person who believes me will perform the works that I'm doing and will perform greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, let's just move back up a little bit and we'll see how this argument plays out. Let's go to um, Philip here. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be content. Now, we all would like to have a glimpse of God. Moses did. Moses said, let me see you. And we would like to, and he said, you know, let, I want to, I want to see what God is like. Then, you know, then I'll be okay. And, uh, and Jesus, Jesus replies to him, um, this incredible, these incredible verses, which are so important. And often in these kind of symmetrical structures, the most important thing is right in the middle. And here he says, I have been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And I want to suggest that this is the second comforting thing today. The first is Jesus saying, let not your heart be troubled. I've got a place for you. The second thing is he says, you have seen me. You have seen the Father. What does this mean? Because... Jesus, the way Jesus related to people and cared for people, showed his love to people, was so gentle, is what God is like. That's what he's like. You know, most of us, and I would 
probably say all of us, have got an inner critic inside us. You know what I mean by that? The part of you that says, you're not doing well enough. You need to try harder. Um, Jitten, you're lazy. You need to be, you need to be doing this. And uh, you're not really lazy. I'm just saying that's what the voice is saying. Um, you're, you know, you're, you've got to, you've got to do this. And we've all got this voice that criticizes us. And what we tend to do is to assume that God has that voice. Am I right? He doesn't. Because Jesus doesn't speak like that to people. And the voice of Jesus is exactly like the voice of God. Did Jesus ever tell people that? Oh, you need to shape up. No, he was so caring, compassionate, and gentle with them. He didn't say, oh, you're stupid. Why are you so lazy? No, I mean, sometimes he corrected people, but even then, in a gentle way. And Jesus was so understanding of where people were and just bringing them gently and helping them grow. We talked last week about Peter, and Peter messed up so badly, and Jesus was so gentle in the way he restored him. And what these verses are saying is, this is actually God. I mean, I'm I'm just so moved when I read this, because... No, this isn't just Jesus behaving like this. This is the Father, and this is how he sees me. And this is how he relates to me. And he's not the critic that's telling me all the time, I've got to shape up, I'm not doing well enough. He's the one who loves me tenderly and is with me and sees my needs and wants to be there for me and cares about me. This is Jesus, and Jesus is saying, actually, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't know about you, but this to me is one of the most encouraging things I can ever hear. Because um, I've got this inner critic just like you have. And to know that that's not God, that actually God is the voice of Jesus, is such a wonderful encouragement. Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor on a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you look at what Jesus is meaning there. He says, the Pharisees lay heavy burdens on you. The Pharisees tell you you've got to do this, these laws, these laws, these laws. But he says, you're heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. This is the Jesus who's calling us. He's not saying you're lazy, you need to do more. He's saying, come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I find this an incredibly encouraging teaching. But Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he says, you know, you believe this. Do you not believe that I'm the Father and the Father is in me? This, if you believe this, this is going to be really powerful for you. Um. Just one more thing before we just move out of this passage. He starts off this by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, no one comes to the Father but through me. And this reminds me of a quotation which is from a very, very long time ago. Thomas Kempis, uh, the, 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 uh, the Christian writer, uh, before the days of the printing press, I was written by hand, follow thou me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the invaluable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, 
life blessed, life uncreated. Beautiful words. So the second benefit then of Jesus going that Jesus says, sorry, the second thing he says to encourage them, that even though he's going, is that the Father is like him. But then he comes to um, some, some more verses which are really tying this all together and bringing them another encouragement. He says, um, believe me, I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, but if you do not believe me, believe believe because of the works themselves, I tell you the truth. The person who believes in me will believe the works I'm doing and will perform greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So this is leading forward to some teaching he's going to bring about the Spirit coming and about when Jesus goes, actually, because Jesus is going, it's going to launch the church, it's going to launch the kingdom. And in fact, things are going to be amazing at this point. It's going to bring far, far more. And uh, so uh, he then says there's greater works that they're going to do. And this is, lots of people ask, well, what is this, greater works? I mean, raising the dead, is it greater than that? Like raising Lazarus from the tomb? What could be greater than that? And I think think the greater is in like the... Um, the, how dramatic it is, what the greatness is, is the way it played out, like the harvest that came. Because when Jesus did miracles, not many believed. Like, not many believed that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Um, they rejected him. He fed 5,000, and they didn't really believe. They just wanted more food. The What happened with Jesus, amazing miracles, but because the Spirit wasn't poured out, there wasn't this tremendous uh, outflowing from it. And you think of, in the book of Acts, the first miracle that that um, Peter and John did was to heal a lame, a lame man, which you didn't see was very much, but then you healed this man. And a massive, massive amount of people saved, like a huge burst of, of revival through that. And, and it went on. And so even though they didn't do greater miracles, technically the context of the miracle led to much greater things in terms of building the kingdom. So that's what I think is in my, in view here. Um, but let's come on then to this, this, uh, prayer here in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name that I will do so the Father may be glorified in the Son. What does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? Some people treat it like a formula. You know, if I can say, in Jesus' name, loudly enough, then, you know, that's going to give it power. And it's like a formula you can, you can, you can recite. Um, some people like, treat it like just a closing tag on the prayer. You know, you've got to end a prayer in Jesus' name, amen, because that's how you end prayers. And it's kind of like, almost like a, doesn't really mean anything. It's just a tag that's ended the prayer. But what I believe it's saying here is we're praying as Jesus' representative. We're praying because it's his business we're on behalf. We're praying on his behalf. Jesus, um, uh, so Father, I want, please would you save this person in Jesus' name. In other words, 
for the sake of Jesus, for Jesus' glory, because it's part of his project. God, would you save people? God, would you spread your kingdom in Jesus' name? Because this is Jesus' plan. This is his business. And so what he's saying is when we're praying, is it like a personal business? Which is, and that's not, that can be Jesus. Jesus still wants us to, you know, that can be part of his, his plan. But are we doing it just for our own sake? Or are we doing it because we want Jesus to be glorified through it? And so I think this is the, the question here, really, when we come to praying in Jesus' name, is praying for his sake, for his purposes, because we want something um, that's because of him. Um, so, but then that raises another question. Um, what, is every prayer going to be answered if we, if we get the words right? Um, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anybody here ever asked a prayer and it not been answered? Ever? Okay. Yeah. I think like, um, it would be unusual, extremely unusual if you've not had an experience. So what's going on here? Um, well, this is a statement here. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But actually, this is going to be unpacked in the next few chapters, exactly what he means by this. And he says the same thing several times, and he kind of expands on this, and we're going to be looking this this in future weeks. Um, but uh, I'll just give you the, the, the bottom line of this, is that um, and Jesus' prayers, well, Jesus himself, his prayers were always answered, weren't they? All of prayer, Jesus' prayers were answered. It's because Jesus was always in tune with the Father. He always heard the Father perfectly. And what he's going to go on to explain is as we become attuned to the will of the Father, our prayers become more like the prayers of Jesus in the way that they're answered. And this is what we're going to see as he goes through and unpacks what this means. But the purpose of him putting it here is he wants to encourage them. Look, I'm going away, but I'm not, I'm not going to leave you without anything. You're going to be in a position where you're doing more signs and wonders than I did or more spectacular than I did. And you're going to have your prayers answered in the way that I've had my prayers answered. And so he's really wanting to speak encouragement into their lives at that point. So um, let's just go back to where we're up to in this. Um, our plan for today was to start, let not your hearts be troubled, then talk about getting a glimpse of God himself through Jesus. And then this last exciting reason not to be troubled because it's actually Jesus going means this new power, this new kingdom is coming. So what I wanted to end by is asking, what is Jesus saying to us through these scriptures? Now, first thing I want to point out, I've, um, I've, I've, I've colored um, lots of different things to show how it's fitting together, but you can see in this page, I've colored the word believe there. And you can see there's a theme that starts in verse 10 where he picks up that word believe. And uh, he says, um, verse 11, believe me, believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in, in me. But if you do not believe me, believe because of the works themselves. Um, Jesus is never expecting anybody to make a leap of faith in a vacuum 
simply trusting with no evidence. That's a complete misunderstanding of Christian faith. Christian faith isn't making some jump in the dark. Christian faith is based on evidence. And Jesus wants us to look at the evidence. Jesus says to the disciples, look, um, look at the evidence. Look and see what I've done. See, you, you wonder whether I've actually come from the Father. Look at the evidence for it. And the evidence was pretty strong for them. And, uh, I want you, I want to say to you that, um, it, it's fine to want evidence. And God designed our brains to be rational and doesn't want us suddenly to become irrational when we become Christians. God says, God's provided a lot of evidence for the truth of Christianity and he's quite okay with us investigating it. And he's quite okay with that. Now, he believes that, you know, if we really have uh, an open mind looking at it, we all come, we all see that this is true. And this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Look, look, okay, if you don't believe me, because if I'm just saying it, look at the evidence there and see it's true. And then if you believe that, if you really, if you really can see that and you believe that, you'll actually do these same works. And so I want to encourage you that if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, it's quite okay to want to look at evidence. It's quite okay to do that. It's quite okay. And God wants to provide you with evidence and wants to show you. And if you honestly and open-heartedly ask him to show you, he is willing to do that. So, um, uh, I urge you, if you're not a Christian, then look at the evidence and 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 realize that, that this is what faith is. It's not something that's some leap in the vacuum that uh, you have to make. Um, just why I want to go back to my goal that I started off with, to take in the care and empathy of Jesus and to feel empowered by the relationship we have with the Father. I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up now. Um, I'm going to suggest that Jesus wants to speak to you in three ways. The first is, your name is already on the door right next to Jesus. And I want you to take that in today, to take that in, that you have the security of the one who says, I'm with you to the end. I, My commitment to you is I've already God, I want to be with you so much that I already have a place for you. Just, just take that in. And then take in that the Father is like Jesus, gentle, compassionate, unselfish, determined to root out hate and, hate and injustice, not a critical parent. And I want you to take that in, in your conception of God. And I want you to Take out any parts of your view of God that don't match with that, that don't match with Jesus, because this is so important. It's been so important in my life, and I'm sure it is in yours, that you really have a view of the Father that matches the character of Jesus, that gentleness. And he's the one who, about to go to the cross, about to suffer the worst pain imaginable, is actually thinking of the disciples actually thinking of them and saying, don't you be worried about this. And that's God's character to be like that. So if, you're, if you've got troubles now, right now in your life, this thing you're concerned about, stresses you're under, just remember, 
God is concerned about that. He actually wants to encourage you and be with you in that. And the last one, you have a mission. Greater works than Jesus. God is with you as you do this. And some of you may feel that you haven't really stepped into your mission yet. Like, what is it that God wants me to do? I want to encourage you. As a church, we want to help you in this mission. And part of why we exist as a church is to, uh, almost the main reason we exist is to build God's kingdom. And part of the reason we, part of that is, is bringing people to maturity. And we want to be part of you stepping in to what God has for you. So I would love to have this conversation with you and any other leaders in your life would love to do that because we want you to reach the person that Jesus has you to be. And he wants you to do that as well. So let's just pray, shall we now? Father, we thank you that we come to you as the one who is just like Jesus, who has such love for us, who sees us in our struggles and has empathy with us and wants to lift us up and has a place for us for eternity. Oh God, we thank you for that. And we ask that you would help us to understand, to believe where we have trouble believing. Give, help us to see the truth that is good evidence for who you are. And Father, we want to grow in the path that you have planned out for us in your kingdom, to be significant in our lives, that we don't waste our lives, that we do things for you that count forever. And we ask these three things, Father, in Jesus' name, because he's told us that we need to do this, and we know this is in his name because he's actually told us. So in his name, give us these things and reveal your heart to us, we pray. Amen.